We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 16. We've been working our way uh, through 1 Corinthians, and uh, what a glorious, glorious theme that we have uh, been able to explore in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the truth of the resurrection and our hope in the resurrection. Our hope is in Christ and his glorious resurrection. And the fact that we who know him are, uh, we share in that resurrection. We have hope in the life to come. Well, after exploring that theme, we come now to the 16th chapter. And we'll find here in this 16th chapter various, uh, various uh, uh, things that the Apostle Paul uh, has just sort of by way of of wrap-up and conclusion of his letter, addresses. And when I looked at these 24 verses, I thought, well, we can maybe cover all of this in one setting. But then as I began to look at it more closely, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to do that. In fact, I know we're not going to be able to do that because tonight we're only going to get through the first four verses of the 16th chapter. But I think there's much for us to learn in these four verses, and uh, so I want us to read them together, and as we think about our uh, next step Sunday on August 6th and our annual business meeting where we present to you uh, the financial report for this previous year and then also a budget proposal for the coming year, and then uh, as we speak to you about plans for uh, the development of the property that God has provided for us. I, I think the timing of all of this is from the Lord, and so uh, I, I trust this will be helpful to you. I, I trust that when the, this evening is over, we'll understand some truths concerning giving and uh, how uh, the finances of a church should should operate. And I want to say before I get into that, that I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the way that things have been done here for a long, long time. And uh, I've been a beneficiary of that as well as many of you. So let's look at it together, and then we'll draw some truths from it that will help us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. I want you to notice the phrase we find in verse number one, now concerning the collection for the saints. I want to speak to you on this subject this evening, concerning 
the collection. Concerning the collection. And we find here truths in God's word that will help us as we examine uh, the financial aspects of the ministry of God's people, the ministry of the local New Testament church. I'm going to give you three truths concerning the collection tonight. First of all, we'll see the necessity of the collection. What was it for? Why is it needed? Secondly, we'll see the generosity of the givers. And then finally, we'll see the integrity and accountability of the leaders. The integrity and accountability of the leaders. Let's note the first thing that we find in this passage tonight, and that is the necessity for the collection. Why was the, a collection needed? Well, first of all, we see here the Bible says, now concerning the collection for the saints. As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. There are many, there are many things that require God's people, uh, the giving of God's people, if those needs are going to be met. For example, I'm glad that we have an air-conditioned building tonight, aren't you? It's warm. <laughs> My mother was coming in this evening, and, uh, and I could see some sweat glistening on her brow. And uh, she said, it's hot. I said, yes, ma'am, it is. And I'm glad we have a nice facility. I'm glad we have an air-conditioned building. I'm glad that we have a roof over our heads. I'm glad that in the wintertime we have heat. And uh, those things, as you know, are not freely given to us. Uh, those things require a financial investment to construct them, to purchase them, and then to keep the lights on and the electricity flowing through the building. That requires uh, the giving of God's people. Uh, the aspects of ministry, for example, Sunday school materials, uh, if we're going to purchase those and, and use those for training, then the, those things have to be purchased. Uh, the music that you heard our choir sing tonight and the music uh, that we have sung all these many years, uh, we purchase those, uh, those sheets of music. And, and so it, it costs money to operate the ministry. And, and so we give for the operation of the ministry. In this context, however, what he's dealing with is a particular collection that is received for the saints. And who in particular is the Apostle Paul collecting these funds for? Well, he's collecting these needs specifically for the saints who are at Jerusalem. If you remember, the church began in Jerusalem. And the day of Pentecost, they were empowered by the Spirit of God, and the message of God's Word was proclaimed. And the church in Jerusalem uh, was enjoying great health and blessing. However, persecution came. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter uh, to the Corinthian church, he had a major part to play in that persecution. And because of the persecution, because many had left Jerusalem, Poverty became a, a prominent theme that many of the believers in Jerusalem had to deal with in their lives. I want to quote for you John MacArthur, who in his commentary speaks of the poverty in Jerusalem. And it will help us get an understanding of the level of poverty with which they were dealing with. He says, Jerusalem was a poor city. Because it was the center for Jews, it was often overpopulated. 
especially during times of the special feasts and celebrations. Its resources were continually strained, and it uh, was maintained to a large extent by the gifts, the gifts of wealthy non-resident Jews who lived throughout the Roman world. To make matters worse, some years earlier, there had been a severe famine that's spoken of in Acts chapter 11 and verse 28. And as a result of that famine, the people were still suffering. So that's the overall setting in the city of Jerusalem. But poverty affected the Christians in Jerusalem to a greater extent than it did the larger population. Because as he writes, the Christians in Jerusalem had been persecuted for many years. Their economic plight was made even more serious. Many of them were put out of their homes, stripped of possessions, prevented from getting any uh, but the most menial jobs, and some were even imprisoned. Though most of the believers in Jerusalem were Jews, few, if any of them, benefited from the welfare distributions of the synagogues. Because many of the early Jewish converts to Christianity were pilgrims, it means they were visiting Jerusalem, it is likely that some of them chose to stay in Jerusalem in order to be a part of the church in Jerusalem. Despite the fact that the believers shared everything they had with those in need, even to the point of selling their own property and possessions, and we read that in the book of Acts, their resources obviously did not last forever. And so we understand there was a need in the church at Jerusalem. And now Paul, who played, as I mentioned earlier, a prominent role in the persecution of the church, is endeavoring to lead an effort to provide for those believers who were suffering in poverty. John Phillips writes of these poor saints, he said that they were ever on Paul's mind. In his unconverted days as a rabid persecutor of the church, he had made many of them poor. Now their faces haunted him, and he longed to make amends. And so we see Paul carried a tremendous burden to help the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul talks about how that he had met with the apostles in Jerusalem. And he says this in verse number 9 of Galatians 2. He said, and when James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So the apostles, when they met Paul, when they met Barnabas, they encouraged them, they exhorted them to consider the poor. Now, in Romans chapter 15, Paul continues with this theme. In Romans 15, in verse 25, he said, But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. So Paul said, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles had been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. 
What is Paul saying? He's saying that the Gentile world owes a debt to the Jewish world because it is through the Jews that the oracles of God, the word of God, has been committed to us. The church began in Jerusalem. And from the the church in Jerusalem, the gospel message was proclaimed throughout the known world. And so those Gentile believers owed a debt to those Jewish believers. They had received the message of Christ because of the faithfulness of those Jewish believers in the early days of the first century church. And so Paul says, I'm on a mission, and my mission includes the responsibility to take this money that has been collected for these saints in need who are in deep poverty. I'm not talking about people who couldn't afford to make their cell phone payment or their cable payment. I'm talking about people who were in deep levels of poverty. And the apostle Paul said, I'm going to take this money and give it to them. In Acts chapter 11, we read about that famine that came. And the Bible says in verse 28, and there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So here we find an already suffering church going through a famine, and the believers throughout the Gentile world, they desire to give and support those who are in deep poverty. So we see, first of all here, number one, the necessity for the collection. Was the collection needed? Absolutely, it was needed. Then I want you to see, secondly, the generosity of the givers. The generosity of the givers. Notice what Paul says, and he gives us a number of guidelines which we'll view in just a moment. But he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. He speaks here concerning the generosity of the givers. Now, he gives us uh, some guidelines. Well, let me, let me just say this. Let me divide this into two sections. Number one, he gives us some, some practical rules, and then secondly, we'll look at some guidelines for generous givers. But let's look, first of all, at some practical rules for giving, some practical rules for giving. Uh, first of all, uh, he says, upon the first day of the week. When did the church meet? On the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. Sunday is the Lord's day. So he's speaking about the context of their gatherings for worship. And part of our worship life is giving. As Brother Hickman mentioned uh, to us tonight and has so many other so many other times, giving is an aspect of our worship. We give our offerings, we bring our tithes unto the Lord. And so we do this on the first day of the week. We bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord. That is a part, an aspect of our worship together. Uh, a large determining factor in uh, returning back to give, distributing the offering plates in our service. Uh, you know, when we went through COVID, they said you couldn't touch anything, and so you couldn't touch a hymn book, you couldn't touch an offering plate. Then they found out later and, and, and said that 
that virus doesn't spread on surfaces. I don't know if they know to this day what causes the virus to spread. I'm not really concerned about that. I just know that we tried to follow the precautions and guidelines that we were given. And so we stopped the offering. We placed the offering boxes around the doors and the exits of the auditorium, and people gave and gave wonderfully. You can give online. There are many ways that you can give here. But part of the reason that we went back to the offering and the offertory is because we want to promote giving as an aspect of worship. We want to teach our children and the people who come to know Christ that giving is an aspect of our worship. So upon the first day of the week, notice what he says, let every one of you, let me give you a second rule, all are to give. It's not for a select few. It's for all. No matter what level of wealth or poverty you have, all are exhorted and commanded here to give. We can all give. So upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. So what do we find? We find that we are to give on the first day of the week, that all of us are to give. We are to give according to the need, and we are to give as God hath prospered us. Some uh, have more ability to give. Uh, if, if we compared our incomes, which is not something that I would suggest that you do, but if we did such a thing, we would find that there are, uh, there's a large range of income in the church, and some have more income than others, and some have more expenses than others. But as God hath prospered you, that is the measure by which you and I should give as God has prospered. We understand that all of us should give, no matter the level of our prosperity or uh, our poverty. We should give something to the Lord. No matter our age, we should give. I'm glad that I was taught that as a young person that I needed to do my part to give to God's work. I got my first job uh, bagging groceries at Kroger, and uh, I got a paycheck. And uh, I was taught that the tithe, the tenth, belongs to the Lord. And I made a commitment to the Lord to tithe. And I want to say this to you. God has never failed me. God has blessed me abundantly. In many ways, more than finances, of course, but God has blessed me. And so there's some rules here that will help us. Now, Paul is going to take us to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'd like for you to turn there with me because we're talking about generosity. Generosity. The needs required, if they were going to be met, <clears throat> they required that the church give generously, that the believers give generously. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul gives us the example of the Macedonian churches. Those people who were a part of the churches in Macedonia, they participated in the offering. And we find in them, from their example, 
we find an example of the type of generosity that you and I should strive to have. Now, I want you to begin reading with me in, in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do wit to, uh, uh, we do you to wit of the grace of God. In other words, consider, comprehend the grace of God. Think of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The believers in Macedonia, they participated in this offering, but I want you to know it wasn't easy for them to participate. So what is a guideline that we learn from them? First of all, they gave in their affliction. They gave in their affliction. They gave in the midst of difficult times. They gave in hardship. You remember the widow who came and brought her offering unto the taber, unto the temple, rather, and Jesus noted it, and he told his disciples about it. And he said, this widow has given more than everyone else who has given to the treasury today. And what did she bring? She just brought two mites, really significantly nearly nothing as far as a contribution. But Jesus said she gave all that she had. She gave all that she had. And I want you to know, no matter the condition that we're in, we can all give. And the Macedonian church gave in their affliction. It's easy to give uh, in, in your prosperity. It's easy to give out of your wealth. But they gave out of their deep poverty. Out of their deep poverty. They gave in their affliction. Then number two, they gave liberally. They gave liberally. He said in verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Now, you think about that. Do those two things match? The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty? You know, few things, few things disturb us as, as much as financial hardships. Few things cause as much stress. And, and a, few, a few things cause uh, more divorces than, than financial hardships. But here we find that in the midst of their deep poverty, they had an abundance of joy. Why? Because they had their eyes on Jesus. They trusted God. They looked to him rather than their circumstances, and they desired to be obedient to him. And out of the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded, their giving abounded, unto the riches of their liberality. They gave generously. They gave liberally. Now, in 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 6, just look a few verses ahead. This is what we read. Paul said, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. If I go out into the garden and I sow a few seeds, then I'm going to reap just a few fruits. But if I sow bountifully, as he says in verse 6, he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We have an opportunity with our finances. We have an opportunity to sow, to sow the seeds into the work of the Lord, to invest in the bank of heaven, to invest 
in the work of the ministry. He goes on to say in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Have you determined in your heart to be a faithful giver? Have you determined in your heart? I remember some years ago when I left my job at UPS and God had worked in the circumstances of my life and uh, he had led my wife and I uh, to the Temple Baptist Church and uh, we were excited to be a part of that church. We learned about faith, promise, missions, giving, how that we have a responsibility to help missionaries get the gospel across the world. And uh, we learned to give to the mission fund. We were also in the middle of an auditorium, uh, building an auditorium. And a commitment was made by the church uh, to give. And all of the believers in the church were asked to give. I had just quit my job at UPS. I was going to seminary. That's the reason I quit my job, by the way. I don't recommend you quit your job unless God has led you to do it. But God had led me to do it. So I had just left my job at UPS, and uh, I really at that time didn't have a job. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And, uh, but we wanted to participate in the offering, my wife and I, and so we began to pray about it. And we came up with an amount, an amount that we purposed in our heart, an amount that we trusted God to give to us. And I won't tell you all the story and all the details, but let me just say this. God worked in an unusual way to supply exactly every dollar that we had promised to give. And by the grace of God, we were able to participate in that offering. Now, our contribution may have been small and obviously was compared to others, but I want you to know that in that moment... We purposed in our heart, and God allowed us to do above what we even thought we would be able to do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. In other words, the same measuring cup that you use to give to God, you need to understand that if you'll give liberally, God will bless you liberally and abundantly. Now, some of you, some of you may have already tuned me out. You may have said, well, you know, wait, Pastor, this, this topic is not one that I enjoy hearing. By the way, it's not my favorite to preach. I mentioned that this morning, did I not? But nevertheless, it's a truth of God's word. And I'm charged with the responsibility to proclaim it. But I just want to remind you again, if I may, what the Bible says here in verse number one. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. This is a command from God's word. And then he says in verse two, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, every one of you without exception, Every believer should participate in giving. And the Macedonians give us a great example. They gave in their affliction. They gave liberally. Look at verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. 
They wanted to be a part of the work of God, and therefore, they gave beyond their ability. That's the third thing. They gave beyond their ability. If we'll trust God, God will enable us, God will empower us, and God will provide for us to give beyond our ability. So I've given you three guidelines here. They gave in their affliction, they gave liberally, and they gave beyond their ability. Then fourthly, we see this in verse 5, and this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Here's, here's, the, next, here's the next guideline. They gave themselves first. They gave themselves first. They weren't just looking to give God a gift and get the preacher off their back. They weren't just looking to give a gift and soothe their conscience. They gave themselves to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you given yourself to the Lord and to his work? He gave himself for you. He has given us all that we need. And here we find this Macedonian church, the believers in Macedonia, they gave themselves first. Then we see in verse number six that they inspired others to give. Their giving inspired others to give. Look in verse number six. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. We wanted Titus to communicate this message to you because we would like to see you, he's writing to the Corinthian church, we would like to see this grace manifest in your life. Verse 7, therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Their giving, the Macedonian believers, their giving inspired others to give. Let me give you another principle. They gave according to their love for Christ and his people. They gave according to their love for Christ and his people. Look at verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Christ is our example, is he not? He left heaven, and he became a man without ceasing to be God. He became a man born to a Jewish carpenter who couldn't really afford the normal payment for his own taxes. They came to him and said, I'm going to follow you, Lord. And he said, I want you to know the foxes have dens, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Jesus became poor so that you and I might receive an eternal inheritance, uncorruptible, incorruptible in the heavens, and fadeth not away. That's what Jesus did for us. Therefore, if we love him, we ought to give from a heart of devotion to Christ. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, an open heart cannot maintain a closed hand. 
If we appreciate the grace of God extended to us, we will want to express that grace by sharing it with others. And so Paul closes this thought in verses 10 through 12 of 2 Corinthians 8. And he said, and herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. I want you to know that what I'm commanding you, what I'm telling you to do is good for you. He said, this is expedient for you who have begun before and not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. It's time, in other words, not just simply to talk about it, but to do it. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. So we are to follow the example of the believers of Macedonia and to give. And so we find from them guidelines for generous givers. Well, then let's see a third truth, and that is this, the integrity and accountability of the leaders. He's saying, number one, there's a need. There's a necessity that must be met. Number two, he's saying, give and give generously. Number three, he's saying, there's a, an expectation that those who administrate the funds and disperse them will conduct themselves in a, a manner of integrity and accountability. Now, I want you to see this in verse 2. He says here, let me find my place in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16. He says here in verse number 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Now notice this, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul was not a high-pressure apostle. He was not a high-pressure apostle. He did not want to, to come into town and uh, to try to whip it up and, and to try to, 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 to motivate people. Uh, he wanted God to speak to them. I just want to tell you that if we as a church are able uh, to see God work and to supply what is needed for the development of this property, God by his spirit is going to speak to his people. There'll be no high-pressure tactics here. We'll just have to look to God's word and trust the spirit of God to lead us and to move us and to stir us. Verse number three. He said, and when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. You see, Paul is saying here, number one, I'm coming, but I'm not going, I'm not going to be responsible to try to work it up. I'm not going to put pressure on you. You should give out a heart of love and devotion to Christ. Then he says this, it's up to the church to determine who administers the funds and how they are administered. He says again in verse 3, and when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. You see, the church must choose men who are faithful and diligent to administrate the funds. That's what he's saying here. 
And uh, he tells us in the Word of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 16. He says, But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. God stirred up a man named Titus. Now, there's a book dedicated to Titus, a pastoral epistle. And Paul said, God put it in his heart to give care for you. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 8, For indeed he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. You see, the church had to choose men who were faithful, who were diligent, who were trustworthy. Those men were to administrate the funds. And that's what Paul is teaching us here in verse number three and verse number four. You see, we are to establish accountability in the financial operation and administrative function of the church that will ensure the integrity of those who handle that money and administrate those funds to the benefit of those who give and those who administrate the funds. Let me help you understand what I'm trying to say. There should be accountability within the church that those who have been chosen by the church would answer to the church and to one another for the handling and the distribution of the funds. This principle is a sound business practice, but more than that, it's a principle of God's Word, that there should be accountability and integrity. Look, if you would, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 20. You see, this accountability is established not only for the good of the church that's giving and not only for the good of the recipients, but it's for the good of the people who are handling the money. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 20, avoiding this. So there's something to avoid here. That no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us. Paul is saying nobody can accuse us of mishandling these funds or using them for our own gain because the church has chosen trustworthy men and there are levels of accountability that we have to one another and to the church. For example, let me try to explain it this way. When we receive an offering, our ushers take that offering to the finance office. Then when that offering is counted later, it is counted by more uh, than one man. There is an accountability. That offering is totaled, it is recorded, and then a deposit is made. An independent person reviews that deposit to make sure that's matching with the funds that were counted. You see, what that creates are different layers of accountability. In our administrative function, let me just speak about our church again for a moment. In our administrative function, in our financial function, uh, we have a finance committee who serves us as a church. Our finance committee reviews the financial reports. 
uh, bank statements and balances are prepared. Uh, a number of eyes see those statements. Things are checked and cross-checked. We're grateful for that structure. Uh, we've learned that that structure is important and it's necessary. And it's not only for you, but it's for the good of those who handle the funds. Because as Paul said, it prevents them from being blamed for mishandling something. And so when things are done right, it produces a confidence among the people of God. And so we're very grateful that we have a finance committee who serves us. We have people who work in our finance office. We have deacons who review all of these things. Preparation for the budget is made and planning and the deacons meet together and review those, those preparations and plans before they're ever submitted to you. And so what he's talking about here in these verses is a system of accountability and individuals who have the confidence and trust of the people. They are men of integrity. Verse 21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. And so Paul is saying there's a structure here. There's a system in place. There are multiple levels of accountability. And we want you to be confident that when you give to the brothers in Jerusalem who are in need of, who are because of their poverty in need, that that money is being distributed to the saints in Jerusalem, that that money is being used to the purpose and intent for which you gave it. And so God gives us guidelines concerning the collection. And I'm grateful as a pastor to be a part of a church that when I got here had guidelines, a church that was concerned about the collection. And though abuses can happen in any case, I'm grateful for the things that God has taught us as a congregation and that as we move forward, we can be confident in the Lord. And we could be confident in the leadership that God has established in a church like this where men, as the Bible says in Acts chapter 6, full of wisdom and the Holy Ghost have been chosen by this congregation to take care of the business of the church. We thank the Lord for that. May God help us to give. There's a need, isn't there not? There's a need in this hour. And so may God help us to be generous givers. It's a part of our worship. It is something that all of us are commanded to do. And we can give as God hath prospered us. And we can have confidence that as we maintain the right system of checks and balances, as we maintain uh, different levels of structure within the financial function of the church, that the funds are being handled as they're intended to be. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, 
opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.